Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Hello, and welcome back to your Partner in Success Radio, host, which is hosting the Inner Circle podcast with me and Ben Gay. And it is a new year. This is our first podcast of 2024. I'm shocked. I mean, this last year just went I can't, I have, I've lost words for how quickly that went. And I'm hoping that this year slows down a little bit so we can enjoy it a bit more. But I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my co-host, Ben Gay III, we're diving into the worlds of sales mastery with a gem each week from The Closers Part 2. Now, these books, Parts 1 and Part 2, are widely known as the sales bibles. Excuse me. So today we're talking about Here's how to show your benefits, and that's from The Closers Part 2, page 131. In this chapter, Ben continually emphasizes the vital role of showcasing the benefits or your pro- of your product or your service. Yet a letter from a newcomer to sales raised a crucial question, and that question was, how do I effectively convey my product's benefits? Should I follow a specific format or simply present them like a checklist? I found that to be a pretty astute inquiry. So for direct insights from Ben himself, make sure to tune into our podcast each Wednesday. And Ben, let's talk about that because, you know, I don't sell products, I sell services. And I've had to learn when to shut up and listen, how to, you know, really get to what it is that they're asking me, even if they're not asking, and let them know essentially what's in it for them. That sounded like a statement, not a question. Kind of was a statement because, you know, as I had to learn, part of what I do when I'm talking with a potential client from my web development or, you know, teaching them how to do podcasting, I need to really listen, but I also need to kind of read between the lines, listen between the lines to figure out what it is that they're really wanting to know. Am I right or wrong? You're absolutely right. Uh, A clear uh, step in in selling is to make sure you understand the question uh, or the concern that the customer has and that you clarify it. it. Saying that out loud reminds me of Dr. Hill, Dr. Napoleon Hill, uh, every time I discussed a new project with him or a problem or something. His first question would be a clarification. Tell me, tell me where we are now exactly. And I would tell him, he said, now tell me where we want to be exactly. He, before he started spouting off answers to things, he made sure he understood the question or that I understood the question, (laughs) which I quickly figured out with him. Uh, Sometimes I wasn't as clear in my mind about what I was asking as I should have been. So I got where I would think it through and clarify that first. So when you're talking with a customer, uh, prospect, client, whatever, uh, it's important you understand what they just said and don't be shy about asking. Say, "I, I don't understand. Um, the moments ago, you cut it off uh, the sound because of something on your end. And uh, I thought I understood the question, but it also sounded like a statement. So I said to you, before I gave some uh, wonderful answer filled with wisdom, 
what exactly did you just ask me? Um, because I want to make sure we're heading down the same trail. Do that with your customers also. And uh, you, you should. You said uh, something along the lines of, should you have prepared answers? Right. Uh, and the answer is yes. Um, what you want is script chunks. Uh, a script chunk different from a script. A script is, hi, my name is Ben Gay. It's my pleasure to welcome you to tonight's meeting. Da, 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 da. Turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started. That was a 47-minute word-for-word opportunity meeting script. It didn't allow for any interaction with the audience because we didn't want any at that time. Interaction came at the closing tables after the film was over and so on. Then, I didn't know the term then, but then is where script, script chunks come in. You might have something you'd like to say, but the customer may not have been to the same training that you went to, so they may not ask the right questions in the right order. But your answer to any particular question should be formulated, polished, and ready to go because after you've been selling whatever it is you're selling for about 30 days, you've heard every question, every objection you're ever going to hear. So why wouldn't you have answers prepared for those questions and concerns? Um, so I encourage the use of script chunks. Uh, and, and then as to what we're talking about today, uh, as you already said on page 131, here's how to show your benefits. There are X number of objections or concerns that your customers will have after 30 days. You've heard them all. There's, it's even better that than that in the benefits section because they are tailored a little bit to their individual needs. They are set. You've got X number of features on your product or service, and each one has at least one benefit to the customer. So you should know that in advance and be prepared to fire it off. He goes, well, I hate scripts and stuff. And I, I've never heard of script chunks before, but I hate them too because <laughs> the word script is in there somewhere. In direct mail, you test and you test and you test. Those are the three uh, magic words in sales and marketing. Test, test, test. So you've tested and you've polished your letter or your presentation as best you can like a fine jewel. And then that becomes your control piece. The Wall Street Journal has a, a letter they've been mailing out for, I don't know, 40, 50 years. It starts off something like uh, 25 years ago on a spring day, two people graduated uh, from a college, <clears throat> you know, same age, same education, same college. They both want to work for the same company. One is uh, the chairman of the board and the other one is stuck in middle management. And the letter goes on to imply that the diff real difference was one of them took and read the Wall Street Journal every day and the other one didn't. It's one of the finest direct sales pieces that you'll ever get. If you ever get a letter from the Wall Street Journal that starts out 25 years ago on a spring day, save it. You know, it, put it in a binder somewhere. It is the classic sales letter. And that's called their control piece. And they've been trying to beat it for since the day after it was first mailed because you want to get the results of that and see if you can get beat it and get better results. They've never been able to beat it, not once in 40, 50 years. Your script chunk should be like that, cleverly conceived, memorized, and then polished and honed and refined until uh, it it is there's nothing it doesn't cause any problems at all it doesn't raise any new objections etc and then when a question about that feature comes up you answer with that answer and then people again say well i don't like to be confined to a script why wouldn't you like to be confined to the thing that works better than anything else you've tried in 50 years yeah, of I'm course, guessing, yeah. right. I'm guessing these are people who, who have not really tried a script. They just knee-jerk don't like it. Yeah, and here's what's funny about that. If you've been in selling over 30 days, you're on a script. 
you tend to say the same thing in the same situations all the time. There have been studies done on human behavior of all kinds, down to taking a shower. They show, showed people taking a shower, and prospect A always washes under his or her left armpit first, three strokes or five or whatever with a soap bar, and then over to the other one and so on, because we are creatures of habit. So we say we think we're just firing off an answer, but after 30 days, you're firing off the same answer. When the Wall Street Journal journal nails that control piece letter to Placerville, my next California where I am, uh, my next door neighbor doesn't get one different than mine. It's all it's it's a script. It's printed, but it's a script. We all get the same thing on the same day. And occasionally, once or twice a year, I'll get a letter from the Wall Street Journal that is different. And usually, I never see it again because it didn't beat the control piece. Right, right. So what you want is script chunks that are tested and refined and adjusted until they're right. And then even then, I, I will make minor changes in a script I've been using for 10 years if I hear something different that I hadn't thought of. And uh, so I'll make a minor modification, but now I'm down to one word changes or even tone of voice changes uh, because I'm ready with the polished, tested response to any situation. And in the uh, benefit thing that we're talking about today, let's say you're selling cars. There are, and I think I've mentioned this to you recently, the average car, and I'm making up numbers, but I think I'm remembering pretty accurately, has 7,000 parts on it. And each one of those parts is a feature, and each one of those parts has a benefit to you, the buyer. Now, I don't expect you to have 7,000 responses or uh, benefits to one to each one, because most people don't know those, those parts exist, and they don't care. They only care if it breaks. But on the major benefits, features and benefits that everybody knows and sees, braking turn lights, that it didn't used to be complicated when I learned how to drive, but now you have to be a computer scientist to drive your car because you got flashing lights and screens and backup this and so on. Each one of those is a feature. Each one of them, you should know the benefit to when teaching uh, sales training, I keep telling you, and I'm frequently asked, you know, you've been in selling a long time. So how has it changed? I said, well, terminologies, terminologies have changed. We now call something a flivver that we used to call a grommet, or, you know, whatever. And uh, speed has changed thanks to the internet. I can make a mistake and have it in the mailboxes of millions of people around the planet in no time at all. So maybe you got to be a little more careful while taking advantages of the modern conveniences. But when you boil it down, selling hasn't changed since the days of the old silk traders a couple of thousand years ago, or the Yankee peddler in New England on horseback um, two or three hundred years ago. Uh, the, the products, they still have features, they still have benefits, and the customer wants to know What's in it for me? Uh, we used to sell it as a teach it as a radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? So, with today's subject, how to show your benefits, you should have in your mind just as con the customer always has what's in it for me on their mind, always, no matter what you're talking about. They're listening and thinking, how does this affect my life positively or negatively? What's in it for me? You, the salesperson, should just as frequently have in your mind what's in it for them. You know, this is a steering wheel. What's right. in it for them? Well, you don't run into trees as frequently as you would if you didn't have one. Uh, this has the super-duper deluxe brakes. What's in it for them? smoother driving, safety for the family, your kids won't be killed uh, because the brakes didn't work. So on triple blade windshield wipers, 
what's in it for them. What's in it for them is they work far better than the old-fashioned single-blade windshield wipers. You're less likely to get blinded temporarily in a rainstorm and kill the whole family. So that's what's in it for them. And then the next trick is remembering, A, learn them, uh, and B, uh, remember to tell them what it is. I have customers and clients, friends, who carry a talisman of polished rock or whatever. It varies by the person uh, in their pocket. And every time they touch that thing, uh, they're aware that they're supposed to be telling the customer what that benefit does for them. We talked about the other day, and you wrote about Fred Herman saying people don't buy quarter-inch drills, they buy quarter-inch holes. And, you know, what's what's in it for them? Why do they want a hole? Nobody has ever bought a quarter-inch drill to take home and never touch again. They may have bought one, for, and that's what happened, but that isn't why they bought it. When they bought it, they were looking for a benefit for them, a solution to a problem, a quarter-inch hole. So my friends frequently have a talisman on them. One guy uh, wears a, a one of those, like a friendship bracelet, and uh, but it's spring-loaded. You know, it's got elastic in it or something. And he, when he holds his hands in front of him, he gently is pulling on the side where his wrist is, the under part of his wrist, and popping himself. And that's his reminder. When they get through talking or ask their question or whatever, remind them what's in it for them, whatever it is you're talking about. The feature of the benefit I told you the other day on a different subject, I got sold a $10,000 Corvette, which today would be 100000 probably. Uh, brand new Corvette because Hurt, my favorite car salesman of all time, the owner of Marin Bay, Lincoln Mercury in San Rafael, told me, here was the, he, call, he called me and he said, you got to come down here and see this thing. And it was European racing gray, Stingray, with the, the pop-off tops. I always call it a T-top. I don't know what their official word is, but it had two panels that came off, and now you're driving a convertible with a brace over your head uh, and so on. We didn't discuss the engine uh, or the fact it went from point A to point B. That was sort of assumed. If I'd had a question, I'm sure Herc would have an answer ready. What he told me was, when he saw my reaction to the car itself, has been, you will look really cool in this. And load your 236-pound St. Bernard in the passenger seat, let him sit there with his head up over the windshield, you will look doubly cool. And, and, and he was right. If I drove down Main Street in San Rafael, where American Graffiti was filmed, uh, a lot of it, uh, <clears throat> I was astounded at the reactions. People would stop, nudge the person they were working with, and point at the car because it was a sharp looking car. As a highway patrolman who was giving me a ticket one day said, uh, sir, you have to understand this car looks like it's doing 70 miles an hour when it's parked. Oh, it so, does. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't want to be one. driving it down the freeway no. at 80 miles an hour. No, my sister that, had one and she said, come on, take a ride. And I knew better, but I did. And she darn near snapped my neck. I said, I don't want to <laughs> But that's the, the benefit. If, if all you want to do is get from point A to point B, you could buy a $500 junker and replace it once a year. And you'd, you'd still get there in the same, if you paid the speed limit in the same length of time as my Corvette got me there. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was the benefit of looking cool and successful and drawing attention to myself. Gigi doesn't like to draw attention to herself. So she said it would have been, she wasn't with, we weren't together at the time, but she said, oh, that would have been a nightmare. Everybody pointing at you and everything. I said, no, actually it wasn't. It was wonderful. Oh, that, to me, was a benefit. I get, I understand what she's saying. I really do. Listen, when we were talking, when you were talking earlier and we were talking about, um, you mentioned that, I had to mute because I, I was getting ready to cough on you and I didn't want to. So you asked me, was that a statement? It really wasn't. 
but I got distracted because all of a sudden I couldn't speak. And that's where not having that, that part written down in my notes bit me right in the fanny because it came out wrong. Yeah. Whether it's a constant list that you always go through or one for that appointment, you write it down the next two or three things that we'll probably talk about. I have written on a yellow pad right next to me and I started writing it when you and I first started talking just to make sure we hit this point and that point and so on. Those are script chunks, reminders. There we are. I don't leave it to chance in the sales presentation or even in a conversation uh, that I miss points. If I'm sitting in a, we have a little pub that we like to go to. uh, It's a sort of a dive bar for for nice people. (laughs) And uh, when I walk in, I'm known for being sort of funny. And we walk in, there's Ben Gay. Ben Gay, tell us a joke. I said, I don't I don't know any jokes when asked that way. I only know jokes when you tell a joke that reminds me of a joke or story. And then I pull out my memo pad from my hip pocket, put it on the bar with a pen, and say, start talking, guys. And as they're talking, I'm right. Oh, that reminds me of this. Or, that reminds me of this. Or somebody said Irish, you know, you know Irish stories and I had already made a note for some reason. One was I, for St. Patrick's Day, I always have a seven-course Irish uh, dinner. And that leads to the question, always, somebody will say, what's a seven-course Irish dinner? And I said, well, a, bowl, uh, a boiled potato and a six-pack. <laughs> and uh, That's I, too easy. <laughs> yeah, they all laugh. And, Any more Irish jokes? Because I've already written it on my pad. It's, yeah. Three guys, three Irishmen walk out of a bar. Pause. No, really. And they walked that... out of a bar like that's <laughs> ever happening. <laughs> I mean, aren't they rolled out or thrown out but never walked out? <laughs> I don't know. My favorite one when we leave a restaurant where I know people or I've gotten to know them and we've been kidding around. When I get to the door, I always turn back and say, or usually turn back. It, drives Gigi nuts and say, I've been thrown out of better places than this. Why does she still like you? I've got, I'm going to ask her. (laughs) I've got to know. (laughs) So anyway, script chunks are vitally important. Uh, But above and beyond that, remembering to use them is vitally important. And remember, just as they're saying what's in it for me to themselves, You need to be saying to yourself what's in it for them and tell them because they didn't think of all the benefits. They don't know all the features and uh, they don't know the benefits of those features. So you need to be prepared to volunteer information, respond to information and so on. But never forget, if you're not getting across the point, what's in it for them, you're wasting your time. Because that's all they care about. This is true. As a web developer, I know this. People will come to me and say, oh, I want you to copy this website. Why? They're not doing what you're doing, and I won't do it anyway. (laughs) But, you know, I will find out 100% of the time, this is no joke, that what potential website clients think they need, they must have, they want, they don't need any of it. It's a whole different ballgame. Once we determine what they really want to happen, what who they're trying to reach, what's in it for them, what's in it, in it for their audience, it's a complete turnaround. So yep. you always have, and that was my question. I did have a question. So if you're not getting what you think you need from customers, potential clients, what do you ask them? Because you have to ask. Yeah, the way I handle it is I'm upfront and blunt about things. But remember, in sales infiltration. Closers part two, starting on page 257. The way I cheat is I get all that stuff out of the way up front. I'll be straight with you. You be straight with me. Fair enough. I'll treat you fairly, squarely, decently by the rules. Fair enough. Uh, Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, You may ask me any question that you want. I will answer any question you have the nerve to ask. Fair enough. Uh, Yes. And I expect the same from you. 
The, okay, so I said all that to say this. So now we've, we're 30 minutes into whatever we're doing, and you're still not getting the answers that you need or the information that you need. You have permission now to say, excuse me, I don't act like a dummy or like I'm confused, but I am somewhat confused. I need to know, fill in the blank. And you just tell them, you already got, you got permission when you started. You reminded them right before you, you phrased the question. And now I need to know, what is this? You know, how, how come you said that? Uh, I'm confused. It, it, you know, Mr. Prospect, there's a difference between it costs too much and I don't have the money. Those are two entirely different concepts. Which one is it? I know it doesn't cost too much. The marketplace determines that. Do you have the money or is financing a problem? And they will, if you've, if you've laid the groundwork, they will tell you. I'm astounded, Denise, how many things and subject matters people will say to you, if you have permission, you can ask them anything. I mean, I, I, I'm sometimes in the middle of a sales presentation tempted. I've never done it, but to see how far I could go. I mean, <laughs> you could get off into personal areas that you have no business knowing or whatever. But if you've laid the groundwork and you ask them, they'll tell you. I wouldn't. But then I'm pig at it. <laughs> truly, I have been known to look at people and say, why did you ask me that? And that's, that's good. Cold. I just I don't tolerate personal questions. Yeah, that that's uh, nothing wrong. You know, it, absolutely. That's a that's a great question. Why did you ask me that? Not that polite. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't use the word great. It's like why well, did you ask me work that? Work on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I'll let you know how it works out. <laughs> we were talking about seven thousand pieces on a car when I was working at. NASA is the attitude coach for three of the Apollo 15, 16, 17, and knew all the other people, uh, or many of the other people. Uh, I was given a statistic I've never forgotten because they're known for testing, 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 and triple redundancy. If part A breaks, part B will take over, and if that breaks, part C will take over. If you got to go to the fourth level, pray it's not terribly important because <laughs> in most cases there isn't a fourth level, but triple redundancy is their standard. Said all that to say this when the Saturn 5B rocket took off, uh, the Apollo shots, when it took off, if it was 99% perfect, that meant there were only 7,500 broken parts on it. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was so remarkable. <laughs> Alan Shepard was famous for saying, they say, are you afraid to go up or, you know, do you get afraid? He said, the only thing that bothers me is I'm sitting on top of this ticking time bomb that they're about to set off. And it was all put together by the lowest bidder. I remember that. <laughs> And then I watched Apollo 13. It's like if something could go wrong, it was going to go wrong and right. quick, you know, right away. And, and Apollo 14, had it taken off uh, on time, it did take off, but had it taken off on time, might have been worse. It was the, I was told at the time, it was the worst one they ever put together. Uh, one of the first things I remember when I got to the Cape was Alan Shepard on the speakerphone, uh, you know, everyone there could hear it and i swear to god it sounded like he was begging please let's put this thing together he didn't want the back to blow off like he did on 13 and he wanted to get home to his kids and uh, he, he was begging for it and they were master people i mean just unbelievably fine bright sharp people who really cared about their job and and by and large, did a wonderful job, but 7,500 broken parts or non-functioning parts, if it was 99% perfect. I mean, that is an attention getter. I, I'm i still kind of clutching my stomach. I mean, I, you know, you can think, well, if your car is going to go wrong and only 13 things are broken in there that don't have any real vital role, you know, you're going to be okay. Yeah. But when you 
cite the numbers that you just did, I, I wouldn't even walk near one, let alone get in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're ready to launch. You ready? No, I think I, I got some yeah. cookies in the oven. Yeah, my mama called. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. But, you know, that's... Love to help you. but uh... <laughs> Can you call my backup? Oh, well. <laughs> Hang yeah, on, you they all me. had, you know, they had backup crews. Every single uh, astronaut no. was duplicated. So uh, no. call uh, Bob, uh, tell him he's going this morning. <laughs> well, I don't care if he's drunk. Get him sober. Get him over here. <laughs> <laughs> I can he can, hear he can sober up on the way to the moon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's insane. It really is. But I, I wanted to read something real quick. And then I've got a question about post offices because we were talking about a recent um, post office visit that I had that was interesting, and I will not repeat it on this show. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but you know about it. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm still on page 131, and I love, I actually, I don't mark up these books, but I did mark this one up. And it says, just a little bit, I just put a check mark next to it, but it says, simply reciting the general benefits of your product probably won't do the trick. So here are a few tips to make your product's benefits clear, understandable, meaningful, and exciting to your prospect. And this is where I really actually put the check mark. First and foremost, you must determine what your product's benefits are to your customer, not the last customer, not the next customer, to the customer at hand and the exclusively because he doesn't he could care less how the benefits how it benefits someone else and this goes back to what you've been saying he's only interested in what's in it for him and you know we can't repeat that enough you you can say oh well you know billy bob just love this i don't care who billy bob is tell me what this is going to do for me exactly the, the Corvette example is a, is a great example that there are people, many people who buy car, Corvettes or, you know, exotic cars or whatever, or into mechanics. I have a friend, Hugh Harris in Ringgold, Georgia. He and I met in the, when he was in the home improvement business. Now he's a extremely successful restaurateur and uh, uh, his, uh, and he does cars drag races cars he collects them he refurbishes them and so on if you were selling hugh harris a corvette let's say we'll stick with that analogy you would have it up on jacks the hood would be up uh whatever else you could all i know is where the key is uh so i i'm not the guy to even come up with the examples but Hugh would want to know what makes it work he's the type of guy if you give him a rolex watch first he takes it apart to see what makes it work. All I want to know is, does it keep time? And uh, uh, does the car start and stop? I'm with yeah, you. Ex exactly. I know where the steering wheel is. I know where the brakes are. Those are important. Yep, and pretty much are. that's it. And that's about it for me. But if Herc had been selling that Corvette to Hugh Harris, it would have been up on a jack. Uh, hood would have been up. They'd have been under it. They'd both have grease on them and so on. He knew me well. He said, Ben, you'll look cool in it. And that, you know, Hugh needed to see the engine. I know I needed to know I'd look cool. Same <laughs> car, same price. Right. Same features. Uh, but I was interested in one or two features. Hugh might have been interested in 500 of the individual parts. So, again, same car, same price, same everything, except different customer, different needs, different questions. And when in doubt, ask. It's just amazing what they will tell you if you ask. You know, Mr. Customer, I'm confused. Mr. Customer, I need to know. Mr. Customer, my last uh, customer uh, who bought the same exact car was very interested in fill in the blank. Is that of interest to you? If he says no, move on. Mm -hmm. But it also opens the door up to, well, what is, you know, when you came in to look at the car, what were you hoping to find? And they will tell you. But for some bizarre reason, second only up to, to uh, fear of closing, salespeople are afraid, to, many salespeople are afraid to ask what the customer is thinking, what they want to know, what they're concerned about. Well, you can't close the sale. Unless you con them, 
You can't close the sale without answering that question. So find out what it is. Ask them. Somebody, one of my speaker friends has a book out now. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I don't remember which person has it. But the title of it is really good. Ask. The whole book is the title is Ask. Because, uh, you know, the Bible ask and you should be told ask it should be open to you whatever the the various Bible verses are but they all ask comes up numerous times in the Bible because it's how you get to the core Jesus said meet them where they are but if you don't know where they are you can't you have to ask don't be afraid to ask and the first few times I remember uh very early in my serious sales career, I mean, when the money got serious, I, I would sit there and be afraid to ask for the order. Why? Because I didn't want to hear no. And if I don't hear no, I'm having a good time. Well, there's a difference between being a closer and a conversationalist. I, I was a wonderful conver conversationalist, but I wasn't making any money. And and what saved me there, Denise, was scripting. Uh, when I started moving up in the organization and had some serious, to me at the time, serious money invested and wasn't making any money, uh, I had to, I said to my sponsor, Bill Dempsey, uh, as he was throwing me out of a meeting, he said, by the way, I don't want you to come back to the meetings anymore. I said, well, I sort of have to. That's how we make our money here. Uh, I know. But you don't bring anybody because you haven't learned the script, the invitation script. When you get here, I can't put you up in front to give the meeting because you haven't learned the script. That was 47-minute meeting I told you about. Uh, and then when they, the film is over and it says, turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started in Holiday Magic, uh, you have to ask for help because you haven't learned that script. So... Uh, I don't want you coming back to the meetings. You're depressing people. <clears throat> and I said, well, how do I get around that? And he said, you learn the script. Stand in front of my desk whenever you're ready. When you can do those three presentations word for word, you can come back to the meeting. I did it about 10 days later, as best I recall. Came back to the, I said, what do I do now? He said, oh, here's an idea. Why don't you just take the script, you, the invitation script you've now memorized. I heard you do it and go say that to a few strangers. And I did. And two or three nights later, walked into the Georgian Terrace Hotel, thanks to scripting with, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I really don't, couldn't give you names, dates, and places, but with five prospects, let's say. And uh, that was because of the script. Then the guy got up in front and did the meeting by script. I got to just benefit by listening. Then the film, ran which tended to run exactly the same every time you're a southerner you know that no matter how many times you watch going with the wind the south loses yes. so <laughs> i've run it backwards the south <laughs> still loses <laughs> so uh, we got through that part and then turned to the person who brought you here and the lights came up and it was on to me again fortunately i knew the closing script six of them First one worked, you were done. If not, you rolled over to the second one. If it worked, blah, blah, blah. Up to six word-for-word -word scripts. At the end of the sixth script or the fifth one, whatever I got to, all everybody had committed to buy. Four had given me their payment. The fifth one, as best I recall, had to go to a bank. But because I had anticipated that, I had a my girlfriend's father was the vice president of the trust company of Georgia. I knew right where to send him. And three or four days later, he came back with his money. So I got 100% of the prospects at the table. And I made more that night than any year in my life. And I was hooked. I was no longer afraid to close. I, I wasn't 100% over the jitters, but you couldn't tell it anymore. Uh, I wasn't afraid to close. I wasn't ashamed to be using scripts. Uh, I wasn't ashamed that most of my answers were pre-prepared. And I wasn't very good at delivering them yet, but that came in time. J. Douglas Edwards, one time I said, I, he, he was also about closing instincts. You got to develop a closing instinct. One day I said to him, Doug, 
how does one develop a closing instinct? He said, by closing too soon and too often. It's you easier. learn what you're doing wrong. Yeah, it's easier to back off. You know, right? If, if 100 miles an hour won't work and it's too much, not, try 90, try 80, till you find your sweet spot. But as as uh, I know the reaction it causes anytime I say the word script, all successful people, not most, all successful salespeople are on scripts consciously or unconsciously. If it's conscious, they're on a script that's been tested and refined and works. I mean, I, I'm, uh, for years now, my closing rate is 86% on big ticket sales that's worth keeping track of. Uh, 86%. When someone says no to me now, I'm surprised. I mean, I sort of jerk back in my chair a little bit. You said no to me which leads us to one other subject, it's a little off subject, but nevertheless, is rejection. My closing rate is 86%. I estimate that I've given 100,000 over the years since 1965, I've given 100,000 presentations, them and me, yes or no. Well, with an 86% closing rate, that means that uh, 14% said no. And out of 100,000, that means 14,000 people listened to the Ben Gay sales presentation and said no. I was always sort of shocked, but, but I've gotten used to it. So you also have to, with all these successes that we talk about, you also have to be put rejection in its proper place. About half of those didn't object to your product or service. They didn't have the money. It's called right. a condition not an objection it's a condition and the it's others maybe they, could have said, they just maybe, can't afford it yeah you can't but even that sufficiently inspired just about anybody can get just about any amount amount of money jimmy rucker and i and zig ziglar went to that first meeting opportunity meeting for three people in the trust company of georgia building and bill dempsey went through the thing and then tried to close it, and our lowest option was an organizer, $91.41. Even for that, Rucker wasn't married, so I said to Rucker, we'll use your paycheck this week. We both work for my father, and that's about what you get after taxes, so we're in. $91.41, I had to borrow it, for lack of a better word, from my business partner, uh, and yeah, and, and that was it. And there was another option, $2,500. And then the best position to be in was $5,000 in today's money. That'd be about $50,000. And there wasn't a chance of us getting it. But Bill Dempsey had injected us with a fever. He was making $10,000 a month. He said, if we came up with uh, $5,000, we could be making $10,000 a month. So... We, and, and we didn't have the money to pay for the parking to get out of the garage. I didn't notice when I pulled in your ticket it had to be verified by a bank teller that you did business with the bank or you had to pay for your parking. That was $3 and some odd cents more than I had. So we, when we got up to the guy who's leaning out of the booth with his hand out, I looked to the right at the wall and just drove past him like I didn't see him. Yet, a week or 10 days later, we handed Bill Dempsey a check for $5,000. We had been sufficiently inspired to raise more money than we had dreamed of at the time. You don't have the money to get your car out of the garage today, and you have to come up with $50,000 in a week. How could you do that? Sufficiently inspired, there's probably 100 answers to that question. Any one of them will work. But you must be sufficiently inspired. The person who's talking to you must have thought what's in it, been thinking, what do they want? What's in it for them? How do I explain it to them so they understand that? What's in it for them? Because Bill Dempsey was smart enough to know that I, I can only speak for myself, was sitting there looking at him thinking, huh, 10000 a month, that's what's in it for me? Who do I have to kill? Mm -hmm. It's true. 
Listen, um, by the way, I think the the author you're talking about for the book Ask, it's I think that was Ryan Levesque. Okay. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I know the name. I'm just yeah. not sure it's the person with the book, but it's Ask, A-S-K. Right. Somebody wants to look it up on Google or it seems to me like that's who it is i have the book or i had the book um briefly i borrowed it from a friend which you know i never loaned books but this person did loan me i gave it back now i wish i had <laughs> i was gonna say when you you weren't sure you had it i was gonna say did you lend it to someone no i never lend my books no, to i've gotten out of the lending business yeah occasionally i'll lend a book to someone in exchange for their watch or their wedding ring <laughs> you know, or something like that. And I, I get those back, but normally they so they lose interest in borrowing the book when yeah. they realize I have to put up their watch. Now, this was loaned to me and I turned it back, you know, to the person in about two days. So I'm not sure I got all the way through it. I'm going to have to go buy it and read it again, because as I recall, it was a great book about sales. But anyway, I wanted you, this is about the time that I always say, Ben, where can people find you? Where can they find by the sales Bibles? And the reason I'm bringing it up a little bit early is because I want you to tell me, tell our audience about the post office that you built in Rescue, and I think it was Rescue or Shingle Springs, but let's talk about that a bit, because that's a fascinating story. Yeah, in Shingle, people are always complaining on the neighborhood, whatever, websites and so on about our local post office. One, I've become friends with everybody in there that has contact with the public, and we're all buddies, and they will do amazing things for me. Uh, so, so that's step one. I, I operate in a different post office than most people in Placerville do. They go looking for trouble, and they find it almost every day. Uh, and uh, my position is that I've done business with them, and I've done it properly but my volume is such, you know, people say, well, you don't understand what the post office does. I said, I'm the largest mailer or have been, I'm not currently the largest mailer in the area. The new shingle, it's not brand new anymore, but the new shingle springs post office, they say, yes, uh, you're aware of it. Yes. You know what it used to be? Yes. Well, I built the new one. My volume in mail enabled the postmaster to fill out form number, whatever, and build the current Shingle Springs post office. And uh, that's one, two exits down the freeway from where I am now. In Placerville, they have a bigger staff than they would otherwise have because of our mail volume. And then the one you alluded to, a postmaster, I think his name was Jack something from Rescue, California, just a mile or so away from the post office we were using came over because we had two emergency services, one called Pet Switchboard, uh, where we put a tag on the dogs or cat for a rabbit's neck. And uh, if they got lost or found or whatever, you dial the 800, our 800 number and eventually a phone call or two later matched you back up with whoever found him or lost him or whatever. And uh, then the other one uh, was 800 Rescue, same concept, but for people, not unlike medical alert. And this guy named Jack, I said, why would you want us to move to your post office versus where we are now? It'd just be more work for you. He said, yeah, it'd be more work for me. It'd also be a brand new post office like you got for them in Shingle Springs. And that's what I really want, the volume to justify them building me a post office like that. It's the first time I ever knew that happened. Meanwhile, all our unhappy customers in all the years, the millions of pieces, individual envelopes, packages, whatever, the millions of pieces we mailed, they've never totally lost one, not a single one. And I began using them in 1976 and used them yesterday afternoon. Uh, and in that time, now we've had a few with tracking that, you know, we're going to Alabama and got to Louisiana and then went to Alaska. Not sure why. <laughs> so it might have been a day or two later, but it wound up where it was supposed to be in Alabama. So I've gotten, because I know how to treat people, I've gotten amazing service. It has to be a mechanical glitch somewhere else for us not to get good service. Because I treat the clerks at the post office just like I would treat my most valued customer, a kid with them, 
uh, bring them. Uh, I found a wonderful Tabasco type sauce, Tabasco Sariachi, if I'm pronouncing it right. It's hot, but it's not, doesn't burn your mouth. It's mainly flavorful. And I just loved it so much. David, my favorite guy at the post office, is Mexican. I had a hunch perhaps he used various hot sauces. So every time I order, every time I ordered that sauce, we get it from uh, Amazon. I ordered four bottles. I give two to him. What are you going to do to a guy who gives you two bottles of the most hot wonderful sauce. hot sauce? Yeah. I'd uh, wash your car. Are you kidding? Yeah, exactly. You know, it, unbelievable service and kidding around and having a good time. To me, going to the post office is a social outing. To some people, going to the post office is like having root canal work done. The difference is what you hand out comes back kid with them. I like them. I bring them gifts. I praise them out loud where other people in line can hear it. Uh, and you mean that. it. You're not just blowing smoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, A, I mean it. And B, I will admit, I know it's effective. It is effective. Yeah. It people is. say, well, you give just to be giving. Well, true. But I also know the effect. You know, people say, I, I give with no chance. I give with no expectation of getting anything back. Well, you don't understand the universal laws then, because what you hand out really does come back oh, tenfold. Yeah. It does. It really does. So we, we've we got about five more minutes. So let's talk about the closers and where people can find them. Now I'll go fast. Yeah, I, want you, I want you to take most of that time. If you want to, to uh, get your hands on the closers, uh, the books that I have written, published, co-written, edited, whatever, the best-selling, most powerful, most popular books in the field of selling ever published at a special price with free shipping. Go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash all one word Ronzoni books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. They'll all be signed and dated as if you bought them from me. You know, and well, why don't I send them to my website? You get better pricing and free shipping at the place I just told you. So do that. And if you're interested in my mentoring, shoot me an email. My email is bfg3 at directcon.net. And I will attempt to do, if you if you apply and if you're accepted, I will do for you or try to with your cooperation what Dr. Napoleon Hill did for me. I was known as his last protege. He worked for me the last two and a half years of his life. And I do that for people, what he was doing for me when he passed away over 50 years ago. Now, just as important, and that's hard for me to say because I was talking about me, <laughs> just as important, tell him a little bit about your podcast consulting programs that you're about to unleash on us. I will, but I want to, I started to interrupt you a minute ago and I didn't mean to, but I want people to know that the books are signed, they're dated, and there's a business card. It's a like a sticky glue on business card. So you can always find Ben. You just open that book and he's right there. So grab these books. Listen, I have both of the closers one and two, and I have um, the other book that you wrote and Sales Closing Power Sales by Greg Closing Edwards. Closing Power, yeah. And I love that book because you wrote inside to me, he would love you. And I went, oh, and I, that's one of my favorite things. But these books really should be part of your entrepreneurial library, whether you're working for somebody, whether you're working for yourself, it doesn't matter. You are in sales. So anyway, yeah, it's so important. And I've had these books, I think, since 2016. And I pick them up all the time. It doesn't matter. Part two is my favorite. You know, part one is it's a great book, but the meat and the potatoes are in the closers part two. But anyway, you asked me about my podcast. What's happened? I mean, after years of folks asking how my podcast climbed to the top 2% of the global popularity charts, which shocks me, I'll be honest, I decided that it really was time to share that my secrets and help others get their voices heard. So I have opened up, and I'm just doing it now. It's opening up this week as of now, uh, my personalized podcast strategy calendar for 10 people. 
So if you're ready to elevate your podcast game, excuse me, in 2024, join me for a three-hour recorded session and let's turn your podcast dreams into reality. It doesn't matter if you're a podcast host, a podcast guest, or you just want to know more about how it works. Let me tell you something. It's not easy. There's work. But the reality is you can get your voice heard as I do all over the world. And I get to meet people from everywhere, again, all over the world, people I would never speak to or or meet in my local Walmart parking lot. It just would never happen. <laughs> so book your spot using the scheduler link on yourpartnerinsuccessradio.com. Go to the contact page, or you can call me toll free at 888-719-6711. Leave a message and I will call you back immediately. So Ben, and thank you for, for letting me talk about that. What are we talking about next week? Well, Let's talk about your switchboard is killing you on page 141. There's quite a bit of depth in that concept. And remind me to tell you a funny story about one of my first coaching clients after I left the cosmetic business and went off on my own. I should have written and read that chapter before I took on my first client. <laughs> well, you learned a lesson. Yep. <laughs> so there is... I sure did. I know. It's amazing. You know, just when you're front facing or you have somebody who is front facing your business, they need to know what they're doing. You need to know what you're doing. Well, it was uh, an interesting experience and I'll try and remember <laughs> to pass it on. That's oh, I just wrote down a note. You're going to pass it on. I'll ask you. Yeah. Ben Gay in his rapid fire mouth uh, oh. said hello to a client and lost a client in, oh, about 60 seconds. <laughs> oh. Did you ever, you know, beat that one or did you kind of? Oh, oh yeah. We, became, we were pretty good friends. We became dear friends and everything straightened up. But, uh, you want me to just tell you real quick how many how much time we got? We've got three minutes. All right. His name was Ralph Johnson. He's the one who invented containerized shipping. He did it for military families who were moving, let's say, from the United States to Germany. And the theory was load it up on your front lawn and come back and you'll find it in Germany on your front lawn, still in good shape. Now that's odds and lots of people but ralph johnson invented it and uh, and because he was already in the shipping business took full advantage of it so he he knew of me at holiday magic he was good friends with the owner of the company and so on he called me one day and he said i understand you're leaving uh i'd like for you to do some work for me do for me what you did for them and i said i'd be happy to so go over to across san francisco bay to his office and I'm sitting in the lobby for, I got there early. So I was sitting there for about 10 minutes, listening to the receptionist insult people who came in through the door. And every time she answered the phone, she found a way to do it rudely. And I was just fascinated. It was so bad. So she escorts me into his office. I said, Ralph, how are you? He said, I'm fine. Give me an idea that'll change my life you know, challenging the new coaching guy. And I said, well, the first thing you could do is fire that bitch in the lobby. And there was this awkward moment in the, during that second, those of us with rapid mouths like you have. Hey. I, even I said to myself, that may not have been good. <laughs> and he said, Ben, I'd love to, but she's my sister. <laughs> What are the, uh, there's 330 million people uh-huh. in the United States. What are the odds? I picked out his sister. So you didn't get soul. hired that day, I take <laughs> So you've, you've heard the uh, uh, first of the switchboard is killing your stories. <laughs> I love that story. Well, listen, everybody. Thank you for joining us and be sure to find us on your partner in success radio. Honestly, you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting this podcast. 
just look for our names, Ben Gay third and Denise Griffiths and or the Closers Inner Circle podcast. You use any of those terms and you're going to locate us. Ben, thank you so much. Happy New Year. And I am so glad that we're continuing into 2024. It's, we're going to have a great year. I'm like a bad penny, Denise. You're not getting rid of me. I hadn't tried, but <laughs> is that a challenge? I mean, <laughs> no. No. Okay. Good. You right. have a wonderful day and a Thank wonderful you. year. Thank you. Love you. And I'll talk to you next week. See you. Bye.